It's Monday, March 3rd. Welcome to episode 22 of Insert Content Here. Insert Content Here. Words intentionally unclear. Insert Content Here. I'm Jeffy, digital strategist at Lullabot. Every few weeks, I get together with interesting people in content strategy, web publishing, and digital media to talk about what's going on in those fields and what cool stuff they're working on. This week, our guest is Misty Weaver. She's an instructor at the University of Seattle. She's the host of the Seattle uh, Information Architecture and Content Strategy Meetups. She's the community manager at Content Insight, and she's a specialist in content inventories and auditing. And I've got to say, Misty, that is a lot to keep in the air at once. Um, I guess the first thing I'm curious about is how do you get involved with all that community work? Well, I look at, you know, service to the community is something that I grew up believing in. And so volunteering to host meetups once or twice a month and teaching a class for a quarter can definitely fit into anybody's schedule, especially if you have been spending your career creating schedules. I think I'm embedded in a a small part of the content strategy scene, and I definitely want to take part in my community, and which I feel like most of the time is Seattle. I would love to expand it to to know everybody in Vancouver and Portland as well, um, and and Spokane and every part of the Pacific Northwest that's interested in content and digital publishing. Because you know everybody that I do meet through the meetups and everybody that I teach, they're so enthusiastic and passionate about what they do and they're just so great and fun to hang out with so it really gives back to me and I've worked here in the northwest for um, I guess it's been about 20 years but I started really becoming interested in content at about 14 years ago when I had my first website and was doing newsletters and direct mail and running customer databases and doing help and support and and started to deal with all the different crazy forms that online communication can take. Yeah, and that was 14 years ago. So very, very early web. Um, <laughs> and at the same time, I think I had a lot of scheduling, a lot of bookkeeping to do because I've always worked in the nonprofit field. And that idea of scheduling and also keeping good accounting, I think, led me to really enjoying content strategy because of the amount of work that's data gathering and analysis. You know, I like a spreadsheet. I like what I can do with a spreadsheet. Um, so moving from this idea of scheduling content into the idea that I could do it strategically was a, a move I made probably about four or five years ago. And that brings us to one of the things I wanted to dive in on. Um, I, well, I, I don't want to go out on too much of a limb, but I think from the conversations I've had with people and perhaps, you know, my own inclinations, um, it seems like audits and inventories are the part of content strategy that everyone just kind of dreads. It's like <laughs> it's a really huge part of the project and everybody knows it's important, but it's just like how do you do it? How do you tackle it? And I'm curious, how did you turn into like an inventory and audit ninja? I, I don't – I want to appear humble in this. I do enjoy it. I think that's the important thing. I know that enjoying it is probably not um, – common, but I think it's actually auditing content is going to become more and more common, especially as we all learn how to use tools to make a lot of the stuff that was the boring copy and paste and backbending, eye-watering 
stuff that a robot can do for us now and moving into actual qualitative and evaluative judgment and using that to create insights and make decisions. That I think is more interesting to people and more people will want to do it. I do teach a class every year. The focus of the class is auditing. And I I have 35 students right now that are doing a series of inventories and audits all the way through to a qualitative content audit. And, you know, they don't tell me that they hate it. They get it. They see why it's useful. And I do make them do it. And And I have to say that makes me giddy with passion as well, just to know that every year there's another 35 students that can go out and do a really good audit. For anybody who's listening who hasn't like sunk their teeth into one yet, what exactly is a content audit? Like, what is an inventory? What's the difference between a, a content audit and an inventory? Are they different? You know, just take us to ground zero. Well, I want to make a shout out here to one of the ways that I really got into this and maybe moved from from novice to ninja. Uh, A few years ago, I met Paula Land, and at the time, she was creating the Content Insight Content Analysis tool, so building an automated content inventory and audit tool, and I got to go to work for her. So for me, this was an incredible opportunity to learn from the inside out, to see from the development phase what was important in auditing, but then, gosh, just to learn from an incredible expert and go to conferences and go to events and read everything written about it. that's been an amazing job. And I think that's how I got so engrossed and engaged. So one of the easiest ways to describe the inventory to the audit as a journey, I think is most of the time when we talk about inventories, that is a quantitative group. It's the how much content you have and where it is. Um, You can gather the page titles, maybe a little bit about what it is, like what type of document or file, and it becomes your catalog. And it's that list, that internal list that tells you what you have. And it lets you see duplication very clearly. It lets you talk about uh, the order that those documents might be in. Um, And then from there, from that inventory, when you have that catalog and you know how much stuff you're dealing with, you can start moving into asking, well, is any of it any good? And that would be the audit, right? That would be the audit. And usually we use the term audit to mean the more qualitative judgments, but it's also a qualitative inventory or a qualitative audit. Yeah, a friend of mine actually worked with an organization that was nervous about the word audit due to the financial implications of it, you know, conjured up images of IRS people and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I talked to a lot of people who change the words for whatever works best in the situation that they're in. I, I just um, was talking with Gary Carlson, who's a great taxonomist out here, about sometimes not using the word taxonomy when that doesn't fit with the stakeholders that he's talking to. He might use other terms that really mesh with them. But in the uh, world of what I do, I would call it an audit. And I'm not afraid of the financial connotations um, in the sense that it is an accounting. Uh, It's an accounting of what you have and where it's going. And it's not a bad thing to have that account. And audits themselves are not necessarily um, horrible. But luckily, I think content strategists are really different from the IRS. So we're talking about something that, you know, the good thing about an audit is you might actually get a lot of money back. And the good thing about a content inventory and a content audit is that you can really improve your content, really improve your user experience, and you can make a lot of choices to save time, save money, save work internally. So it's something that will definitely help you increase increase 
profit. It does seem like the auditing process would have to go hand in hand with the higher level strategy stuff. Um, like without the, you know, those big picture goals and priorities and stuff like that, like the audit wouldn't really have a lot to go on. Yeah. And it's such a, a possibly long and uh, time consuming, uh, like, you know, difficult process that I would never recommend starting an audit without first choosing what you want to look at. And you can easily piece it into different um, groups. It, the most of the time, the best content audit is going to relate to your business goals, especially your business goals related to content, and then also your audiences. What are their needs and goals? And when, often when we look at those two things as filters, it can tell us a lot about our content and how it's performing. And if we're not doing something with that content, if we're not both supporting a business goal but also aiding a user need, then there's a good question of whether or not we need to have that content. And the third thing I usually look for is action. Is this content driving an action? Is it helping someone make a decision? And then is it giving them a way to act? So for me, it's got to support the business. It's got to support a user. And it's got to have an action involved with it. And that's a pretty simple way to filter an audit from a very high-level content strategy point of view. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be good to say this content furthers our goal of having many pages on the website. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I want to know who is, is looking for that because, because that is a great conversation. You know, an inventory might be something that you can do and it'll always have value and it can stand alone. One of the biggest things an inventory can tell you is how much content you have. And a lot of the time people don't realize how much content they have. They have a really different idea of what that content is. So they think, oh, it's only about 300 pages, but it's 3,000. And it can be the same thing with 1 million to 3 million. It's usually times like 10 or something like that. But the inventory at least can help you understand how much scope you've got to deal with and how much content you really have. Whereas with an audit, you definitely need to decide what the criteria is for measurement before you choose what you're going to evaluate. Yeah, we actually just went through the inventory process with one of our clients before a redesign and they had like the usual like pockets of, you know, content scattered throughout different sites and different departments. But uh, it also turned up a lot of like real gems that they hadn't considered making use of. Like they had literally hundreds of celebrity video interviews they'd done at events, you know, talking about all the work that the that our client was, did to, you know, better the world. And if it hadn't have been for the audience, it and um, going in with a knowledge of what they wanted to accomplish with the content that they found, it probably would have languished. I think that's a rare story, but I think I think we're going to hear more stories like that as we become um, digital publishers on a higher level. Um, but I think what you're driving as well is that this inventory process is a people process. It allows you to ask more questions. It allows you to get more people involved and see what they know. Because there might be treasure troves all over the place, as well as some fires to put out. <laughs> and it's not just about somebody sitting in a basement and tabulating a list. It's about using this as a discovery tool and grabbing, you know, I think about the content's temperature. You know, it's a diagnostic test. And from that, we can start gathering all kinds of information from people, as well as, you know, from the digital content itself. And then we can go forward. And it also reminds me to a lot of people ask me, uh, how, how can I get an intern to do this? Yes. Okay. So this is the big question. And I do think, well, obviously, I, I teach this class 
partially because, and I focus on inventories and audits so much because that is a question I get asked all the time and it's something that people definitely look for. And I think that you can have interns do content inventories as long as you can teach them how to do it and as long as you can help them read it. And I think about something small, like a treasure trove of HD videos that somebody is ignoring because who has time to look at them? An intern has time to look at them and tag them all. And as long as you give them the criteria they need to develop, then they can create something short for you as a guide. Like, here's the celebrities that we have. Here's how long the video is. You know, that's the type of thing. As long as you have very clear guidelines for the intern before you start. What I really um, hold back on in involving interns or volunteers um, is that I wouldn't ask them to make those evaluative judgments for you. I think that needs to come from people who are deeply embedded in the process and who understand the goals and who understand the audiences. If you have time to really develop an intern and get them to be passionate about those things, then you might have a chance. But I have certainly had times where I've turned over an inventory to someone else for them to finish and I've sat and I've trained them. And after about 40 minutes, uh, I particularly remember one person who's like, no, no way. I'm not doing this. She's not, she was not going to copy and paste things into Excel. That was not her life. That was not why she was here. So you have to be really careful that this can be a monotonous process. And the best way to get through it is to actually be engaged with it and to understand the results that it's going to give you. Watching celebrity videos is actually kind of cool. So those are the kind of things you want to look for for interns. But I think helping them get those treasure trove assets up is a great way to do it. I think having them do inventories is very useful as long as you know what you're going to do with it and as long as you can help them understand that what they're doing really does make a difference and it is going to make something happen and that they can be a part of that. So many people need to add stuff to their portfolios these days. So building internships that help them do that is also really important. Think about how you can also give them a way to talk about this in their next job interview or in their portfolio. And that's how I think you can get more engagement in your inventories and have them go faster and have them be useful. But just sitting someone down and telling them to inventory generally could go very badly. What you mentioned earlier about um, developing the criteria early, I think is really important. I know um, for for lullabot.com, when we first started doing actual content inventories and, you know, figuring out what we had on hand, I, we really didn't do that much planning, you know, at the beginning. It was just, oh, well, we should we should keep track of what we've got there. Um, and I think it, it, because we didn't invest as much in that, you know, up front and we thought, oh, well, we'll just go through and, you know, sort it out. Um, we didn't get as much out of those early inventories and audits as we could have. I think so. And I think it, it asked the question of who's best to do this. Is this an in-house process? Is this a specialized agency thing to do? Um, is it a group of interns? Um, those questions for me just depend, again, if you know enough about your goals and where you're going. I, I worked with one company where we did a collaborative content audit. So, we, you know, we all took sections and we did them at different times. Someone set up the criteria, told me what she wanted me to look for. Um, I was actually doing this while driving on a road trip down Highway 101, so it was really collaborative. <laughs> and when we got back, I think what the point was that she also trained the employees in the organization to do the audit as well. And because their scope for their project could only involve 3,000 pages, but they knew they had probably about 12,000, I think that as a company, they gave that that client 
something useful to work with, which was just, yes, we can help you with this part. And when it's done, you'll see the results. And then you can take over and you can start auditing yourselves and you can make this part of your governance and you can make it part of your culture. I thought that was a a great thing to give back to clients and sort of that blend of having, you know, outside people come in or consultants or agencies or, you know, whatever to help you get started and to teach, but not necessarily making the audit process something that only a specialist can do. I think it's something that we can all share in. I'd, I'd imagine the process would probably have to be ongoing for any organization that, you know, keeps producing content. It does. And I think, again, that depends on the company, the goals, the resources, the time, the people. Um, ongoing audits, I think, are are good things. I mean, some people, some companies are really motivated by quarters. So you can think about an audit a quarter that's going to fit certain things. You can think about your campaigns or your goals. And again, it just has to deal with the context of the company. And it, it, there isn't really a general. I think that rolling or ongoing audits may be one of the only ways to do things. And this is because for me, content isn't really a product. It's a service. For most of us these days, when we're creating digital content, we want people to interact with it or take action based on it. And our websites are living, growing organisms, as well as our social media channels and um, all of the multi-channel experiences that we offer. Because it's something that's alive, it has to be fed and nurtured and pruned like a plant or a garden instead of thinking of it as, hey, here's five sheets of paper or here's a book and it's done. No, we're all going to interact a lot with this content and therefore ongoing audits, maybe on the same topic or maybe on different topics or maybe separating your content into different sections. So this quarter is the web, this quarter is social, whatever it is that you need to do. Yeah, like tackling that way, you know, topically, I'd imagine that you could also say, you know, well, like this quarter, we're going to look for old announcements that like, you know, for old events that we don't necessarily have, you know, any ongoing use for, Um, it will archive them, you know, rather than just say, eating the whole elephant and saying, we will figure out if all of our content is good. Yeah. And that's where scheduling comes in again, too. I mean, another really big tool of the content strategist, the editorial calendar. And I think these things go hand in hand. And so for me, talking about scheduling, yeah, generally an editorial calendar is not something you plan at the beginning of the week. You want to be looking at at least the responsibility of editorial six months out. And I think I was really lucky in that I had a job at the university for a while where I had to plan five years ahead. (laughs) That really helped me. Think about taking this stuff and saying, okay, well, this is only one quarter or this is only one year. This is only six weeks. So I can do that because it's not five years anymore. Um, I I recommend everybody having some crazy experiment where you try to plan something five years from now. Well, we're all going to be using jetpacks and flying cars and and all of our content inventories will be automated in the future. That That's what I'm banking on. I'm, all my to-do lists assume that. Yeah, well, uh, it, it's it, that's a really fun, interesting thought experiment about interfaces and will they be big and will they be small, but also, um, you know, it, it can have to do with actually how slow growth is and how much you need to plan to really get something done. So in your like teaching and consulting and your work with, with this stuff, where do you see people getting hung up the most? Like, are there any like common um, missteps that you see people making? 
No, I mean, I've been lucky because I do get to meet a lot of people who also enjoy the audit process. I think that one of the best things to know is that there are lots of different kinds. Uh, that is what I'll be talking about at Confab uh, Central in Minneapolis this May. That, you know, if you know that there are different ways that you can do content audits, it can help you find the one that's the right fit for what you're doing. So one thing that can really get people off is when they're not doing the audit that's going to help them the most. So I think about that quantitative inventory and turning that into the next thing. And right now I've been really interested in the idea of technical audits, just adding more about what that content is to that inventory can really help you if you're thinking about chunking content or structuring it, retemplating, thinking about its governance, thinking about the structure and the access in terms of search engines. Um, so I think that that technical audit can really help is not as much of an evaluative judgment but it can still get you to that responsive design if that's what you need to accomplish in these three months. So I'm thinking about a project that I am working on right now. Well, they had a certain amount of time and their main priority was to get responsive. So they didn't worry about the revision of what the content said. They didn't worry about how it was connecting with audiences. They didn't worry about all the actions or the pieces. But they did worry about, can we get this done in the amount of time that we have? So that was the first stage. And now they have a nice responsive design and I like to say that it's okay. It's always time for content strategy. And if you didn't do content strategy first, you can still do it because you're always going to need it. Because now they have a great site and design, but it still needs to be fed. New content will need to be added. Content will need to be removed. So it's still a good time for an audit as a secondary process. I don't think we live in an ideal world where content is always first and these inventories are always first and we build the content strategy first. <laughs> Sometimes we have to work with a lot of constraints and that's another reason I like the idea of the technical audit. We often don't get to choose our CMS system. We can be thinking about doing what's right for the CMS system that we have now while another part of our mind is thinking about the CMS system that we're going to have and building towards that and thinking about that as we break down our content into technical chunks that we know we can reuse in different ways when we move to a different system. So one example might be like a company that's about to roll out a responsive redesign, but they need to go through their content and make sure that it doesn't have like hard-coded styles or tables that'll break the new design or something like that. You know, is, is, is that what you mean? Yeah, I do. And I think there are circumstances like this where actually you just don't get to choose the constraints that you're going to be dealing with. So when we talk about going responsive or talking about moving to smaller devices, then we know we're going to have character limits. We're going to have smaller spaces. We know we need images that are going to be able to change size. Um, so using the technical audit to work on those constraints, I think, is a very, very helpful thing. Um, another type of audit is the social audit. And there aren't a lot of guidelines for how to audit your social content. But I think here's another place where there are so many constraints set by the systems that you're choosing to use. I like to look about or ask my students or when I'm doing it to look at how people are connecting their social channels and whether or not they're using it to drive people through their multi-channel experience. Though people might only interact with them on one channel, if they're not ideally pulling back to those business goals, then why are they doing it? Why are they on social? So you can audit for, are you using the system the way that it's best practice? And you can audit for, am I connecting this to our greater business goals? Am I helping people get to the place where I want them to interact with me? Um, 
But I also think it's a great place to look at, and am I having a conversation? Am I adding something of value? Uh, am I building community, or am I just broadcasting? So those are some other things that you can audit for socially, on a website, on social media channels, on a blog. So that's three types of inventory kind of things right there. You've got a quantitative inventory, or you could do a technical inventory. You could do a social inventory. And I think the fourth one that I has a lot of value is a competitive inventory. So that would be more like, you know, what are other sites saying about this topic that, we, that we're talking about? And, and how does our work compare to theirs? What's happening in that content ecosystem? And it's a, a night, most people are interested. They want to know. And it's a great way of one, making sure you're not copying people, but also making sure that you're differentiating. And I think that the competitive audit has often been focused on what features people have and maybe what channels, but you can use it again in a contextual sense to think about how your content compares. And if you want to have a competitive advantage, you really need to know what those other people are doing. Um, so that's what I think sometimes people go off track because they spend so much time looking at their own content. There's a good reason to take a little bit of time to look at other people's content. And oh, Acrolinks um, and their speakers do some really great talks about this. It's it, such like a big company that realized it has done a, such a great job doing tone of, uh, and voice or voice and tone that now everybody in their industry was copying them. So there was no way to differentiate their really great content from everybody else's and that they needed to find a new way to move forward and differentiate. So that's the time for a competitive audit to figure out what everybody else is not doing that you can do so that you, again, have a competitive advantage. So when it comes to the competitive audit, I, you know, you're looking for benchmarking. You're making sure you're not, you're not the same, a carbon copy of other places. But what you're really looking for is how to differentiate yourself and what people aren't doing that you can provide. So that gap analysis is pretty much at a base for most of these audits, but it comes in real handy when you do the competitive. Earlier, you actually mentioned something about the way that auditing and inventories can really influence the planning stages of projects. I'm curious to hear more about that, uh, your thoughts on it, because you know that's something that we've seen too, and I'm curious what you've, what you've encountered. Well, so I was just giving the this lecture to my students yesterday when I've asked them for a final project. So they're doing a, a discovery. A lot of their discovery tool in this class is done through auditing. And their final product is going to be a set of recommendations that's written. But then also they have this ability to do a show. So they can offer the company a set of templates for how the content's going to get onto the pages, how it's going to be organized, what its assets are going to be how something like as simple as a blog post might also turn into a Twitter post and a Facebook post. So they make templates so that the people who are creating the content can do it in ways that fit the system constraints. That's one thing. They might make a group of page description diagrams. I'm not fond of the word page, but that's, I think, the most commonly known term, page description diagram, which can tell them about what elements need to be on the page, what order they need to be in, and what they could cut in case things are really confusing. That's something that can be used by a visual designer to um, you know, redo some of the site. The students might build a new taxonomy, either for sections of the site, especially moving into faceted taxonomy, as opposed to the sort of duplicate, <laughs> added again, link system that might be happening with our current client. 
Um, or they might choose to create an editorial calendar with a guideline, with editorial guidelines for how to talk about how to write the content, how to put it on social. Uh, so they have these choices about what they're going to do. And what we walk through is how the inventory relates to all those things, how they relate the pieces that are creating back to the inventory so that the client and their IT and their marketing and their stakeholders know where to go and make revisions or removals or what sections and areas they're going to add to. So that inventory starts us. We add to it with our, we have series and series of audits that we do to look at different factors. And then they can sort of give their list of additions and revisions and removals to the client, pulling it back to the inventory. But they can also give them documents that again go back to that inventory. We like to think too that they're giving the client a living document so they can continue to keep up their inventory as they go on and always have a, a better idea now of what they've got and how it fits. That can be pretty labor intensive though, can it? I mean, especially if it's like a continuing ongoing process f- for an organization. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a shill or anything, but you know, you do work with content insight on an automated tool just for this kind of stuff, don't you? Uh, the, I think the pitch for cat. I really enjoy this part too because I don't let my students use it <laughs> in the beginning, and then I sh- and then I, so I have them do a, qu- a quantitative inventory based on what Jeff Veen wrote at Adaptive Path in two thousand two, and Donna Mora, who's another really awesome information architect, has written about how to do content inventories and do them by hand by going through the site and finding every possible visible page that they think a user could find, and then building a, a cut and paste inventory. And, and watching their, their eyes sink on like day four that they've been doing it. But teaching them things like how to pace themselves, how to give themselves lots of lead time, how to use two screens. And then I show them a cat inventory. And they go, wow. <laughs> That's, you know, what I, but what I have to tell them about it is like, like, hey, the robot can find us new things like this. It does everything that it can to show us what the navigation order is. It doesn't take us too long to tweak it to make it what we want. But as students or as people who are starting, I really recommend doing some small hand inventories so that you know how they're built because then you know how to read them. I think it takes a little bit of time to get to a point where you know how to read a content inventory so you know how to act on it. But when you have your own website that's more than 500 pages, it's just not feasible or time efficient to do a hand inventory yourself most of the time. You're going to want to use a tool. The tool will give you all sorts of, of new information like size and possibly date and tags that are being used. Our tool hooks up to analytics. So that for us starts meaning you can start auditing directly from that tool. So instead of having to export the spreadsheet and send it around to everybody, you can start auditing by what you're looking at. So we also added screenshots of the website so you could start evaluating the page while you're doing that inventory. And that's just because the tool was built by people who've been doing inventories and large-scale migrations for many years. So it's built for people who do content management, who do IA, who do UX, who have certain needs when they're thinking about what is going to go into their content. And at the same time, too, I've used a lot of other tools before I used the content analysis tool. And they would give me all kinds of data in any kind of order. And it would take me just as long to put it back into an order that I needed. And a lot of time they would pull data that just wasn't 
necessary to what I'm working on. And that can be true. There are a lot of really great SEO tools out there, some of them at a, a, at a pretty expensive level. But if you're not a really big company with somebody who can act immediately on all of your SEO and optimization decisions, that can be way too much information. And you might have you know, somebody just walk away from that inventory or audit process because it's too much. So that, I think, was a major impact in building a content analysis tool that was right for people who evaluate and who manage content. And it's interesting because at Content Intelligence, the work that you do there is also as a community manager. And I th- actually think that like your your talk on community management at the CS Forum in, in Helsinki was probably, the f- I think, the first time I heard you speak. Um, how So I guess one thing I'm curious about is how that kind of work, you know, community engagement and management, how does that compare to or like intersect with the auditing work? So... I'm I'm going to be completely honest. Um I I I audit for fun. And I you know like I just did one the other night. And it was small, but it was hella fun. And I you know, I'll be watching something like Sleepy Hollow and I'll be like, "Let's do a little content audit." Um and it, one of the reasons I teach this class is so that I can have this really immersive audit experience and push my limits um when it comes to this stuff because I enjoy it. But it's not my everyday life and it's not um, always what I get to do. I certainly get to read about it and learn about it as much as possible. What I actually have been doing, I think maybe even when I started working in 2007 at the Information Architecture Institute, I've been working in professional development for some time and just managing um, social media channels or customer service or getting the word out or hosting events. Um, So I've been involved in community work for about seven years in in the information architecture user experience and content world and I do that on a part-time and a freelance basis for different places and so that's the role that I came on to content insight and it was really exciting because I got to work in the idea of community management before the tool was built and I think I was there for about a year before there was a product so the idea that we would think about how to build our site, how to build or improve the product, how to get the word out from a community first standpoint was a really awesome opportunity for me. And I am a part-time community manager there, but I'm fascinated by community management. I think that's where content and content strategy, content marketing, those things are really going. How do how do we answer this challenge of having conversations with people, connecting them, drawing them in, and especially for places that don't have a lot of money, who aren't the big giants, who can't get to the top of the search page or spend a lot of money on making things. Can they really compete just because they're real and they're making conversations happen? And as a community manager, when I started at a certain place doing community management, the first thing I realized was how badly we needed a content strategy. And the first thing I did was inventory that site and say, these are all the things that need to change for me to be able to do my job well. And that was a really big wake up call for me. And that's how I got interested in content strategy. So when I met Paula and content insight and got to work with the team on the tool, I think always getting to know, having this living inventory, of course, for our site, that's really important to me as a community manager because it helps me plan 
what I'm going to say on social media. If someone has a question and I know we have a resource, I know how to find it really quickly. (laughs) And we can think about our editorial calendars going forward based on knowing what we have and whether or not it's, again, meeting our business goals and meeting our our user needs and the people that we've built personas to, to reach. So that is critical to successful community management for me. I wish that I could do it full time. I seriously wish that I could like put all of my effort into just being a community manager who audits content. Um, because I think, I really think that's the direction we're going to go when it comes to content. I think it needs to be involved with, well, what's the community that it serves and what's the conversation that we're having. Well, thanks for joining us, Misty. It has been really interesting. And I know that you've had a crazy couple of weeks and I really appreciate you taking the time to to join in. Um, I know you're speaking at Confab coming up in May. Are there any other events that are on your calendar? Um, usually I'm at the IA Summit, which is an event that I really recommend to a lot of people. There's so many great knowledge sharing from other professionals and practitioners. It's just an incredible experience. And then I, I promised myself always like, um, I'm not going to plan speaking after Confab, um, while I'm in the middle of this quarter. There are a lot of things that I can do at the end of the year, like from June until maybe November, but from like November to March, it's all teaching because it's when I start working 60 or 80 hour weeks. Yeah, that feels like kind of a bad time to shove more stuff on the calendar. So, I mean, I, I, I'll say this. I, content strategy is great. Doing all this stuff is great. I think that, you know, if any of you are looking towards teaching, you might want to start smaller uh, than a 10 week uh, graded undergraduate class. Uh, it took me quite a few years to make that fit into my life and make it fit well. And it's, I love it. It's the best thing that I do, but it's a time consuming, wonderful thing to do. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us and have a fantastic confab. Thank you, Jeff. This was really great. Loved hearing your stories. Thanks for listening to Insert Content Here. If you'd like to catch up on our archives or keep up on our new episodes, visit us at lullabot.com slash ideas slash podcasts slash insert content here. You can also visit us directly at insertcontenthere.com. Music